Have you ever been ashamed of someone or something? Maybe it was an awkward family member. You were with people that you wanted to impress. uh, But there was a a sibling or a parent who kept saying things that embarrassed you. And you were ashamed. Or maybe uh, your children have been ashamed of you. Dad. Uh, or, Or perhaps you've been ashamed of the circumstances of your life. Maybe you've met someone who has a high-powered job with a, a well-known company and when they asked what you did, it seemed, it seemed so insignificant and you were ashamed. But whether we felt those sorts of shame or not, I think we can all identify uh, with being ashamed of the gospel. Uh, sadly, I, I'm sure all of us uh, at times have been ashamed, uh, ashamed of Christ, ashamed of being known as a Christian. Being a Christian makes us stand out, at least it should make us stand out. It, it makes us different from those around us. But there are times when we don't want to be different. Being a Christian can often make us seem odd, and, and who really wants to seem odd? Maybe tomorrow someone will even ask you what you did today, someone at school, someone at work. Will you tell them that you you worship God and spent time with his people? Or will you be ashamed? Or there's a a conversation about some religious issue, some moral issue. Uh, There's a chance for you to speak about it from a Christian perspective. Will you you say something even though you know it won't go down well? Or, Or will you be ashamed? There are times that we're all ashamed of the gospel. But I don't want to spend tonight focusing on the negative. Uh, I I want to focus on the positive. Uh, Particularly because as we saw this morning, Paul was writing to try and stir up the church in Rome to have confidence in the gospel. And so tonight I want to give you four reasons not to be ashamed of the gospel. Uh, We'll spend most of our time on the first one, uh, and that is the first reason not to be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. So the first reason not to be ashamed of the gospel, it is the power of God for salvation. By and large, people want to see God's power at work, whether they are Christians or whether they are skeptics I'm sure you've heard people say it well if God really exists why doesn't he end world hunger if God really exists why doesn't he stop terrorist attacks before they happen they want to see God's power displayed in such ways but the Bible would say to us that if you really want to see God's power look at the gospel look at its power to change lives Consider its ability to make sinful men and women righteous in the eyes of a holy God. For that to happen to one person is a far greater demonstration of God's power than than it would be for him to end world hunger. Many people pray when they're in trouble. They, They only pray when they're in trouble. Maybe they're diagnosed with a terminal illness and they pray that God would heal them. But for God to reverse that illness, to, to stop it in, in, in its tracks and, and make all traces of it disappear, 
That, that would be nothing compared to what the gospel does. God could heal someone's body by saying a word. But for there to be a gospel, he had to send his son. Someone who is at death's door could be miraculously healed. But one day they'll still die. And no matter what amazing miracles they may have experienced in their body, it's only through the power of the gospel uh, giving them a new heart that they can get into heaven. So if you want to see the power of God, well, yes, look at the, the stars. Consider the creation, some of those things Psalm 8 told us about. Watch the, the lightning, listen to the thunder. Uh, consider the, the wonder of the human body and how it all works. But above all, think of the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It is the power of God. Of course, it, it doesn't look powerful a man standing up in church reading out of an ancient book a couple of friends sitting down together and and reading through a letter like Romans if we just judge by outward appearances we'll be tempted to be ashamed but Paul says that he's not ashamed because he knows that this is how the power of God is at work in the world above all It often doesn't look like it. But the places on earth where God's power is most concentrated is in Bible-believing churches where God's word is preached. The power of God last Lord's Day, it was not seen primarily in the the storm that uh, that was touching down all around us as we left church. It was seen in the gospel being proclaimed in in fellowships across this country. How would you describe what someone is doing if they stop coming to church? John Calvin once said that those who withdraw themselves from hearing the word of God willfully despise the power of God. It's a sobering thing. It's an amazing thing, really. People will do all sorts of things on a Sunday, looking for happiness, looking for some sense of meaning or belonging. And all the while, the power of God is on offer to them. Do we realise what we're doing when we invite people to church? Do we realise what we're holding out to them? If you just see it as a... A meeting that we're inviting people to or that we're inviting people to join a club then why would we bother but what we're actually doing is inviting them to come and experience the power of God in their lives but there's even more here the gospel is is more than just power it is a power of God for salvation We can observe power at work without it affecting us. We can watch lightning flash through the night sky and we can know that it's powerful. But it doesn't personally affect us. You might even be talking to someone the next day and say, Did you see the lightning last night? That was really something, wasn't it? And they'll agree, but it wouldn't have changed their life. But the gospel 
it's not just a power that we call people to observe. It's a power that we call people to experience. One reason people are ashamed of the gospel is because they think it's irrelevant. Oh, if that helps, helps you, that's, that's nice for, for you. But, but if not, that's okay too. But Paul goes on to say that the power, or the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And salvation is something that we all need. When we give out leaflets as a church, many see it as advertising just another thing that they don't need. Uh, For them, it's on the same level as a leaflet from Specsavers or or a leaflet offering a grant for a new boiler or, or a funeral plan. We all get those leaflets through the door and all of them are probably relevant to someone, yet they can be ignored without any consequences. But everyone needs salvation. Every one of us will one day face a righteous judgment of a holy God. And unless our sin has been dealt with, the verdict we will hear is guilty. If someone asked you what's the difference between Christianity and other religions, what would you say? Well, one way to answer that would be to say that Christianity is a rescue religion. It's not about us working our way up to God, but it's about God coming down and rescuing us. It's not about us improving our morality or becoming more respectable. It's not some sort of self-help program. It's about the fact that our lives are heading straight for destruction until God intervenes. The gospel is a power of God for salvation. So what does Paul mean by salvation? The answer to this is maybe not as obvious as we might assume. If someone had asked me before I preached on this passage what Paul means by salvation here, I would have said, well, he means someone becoming a Christian, obviously. Uh, and that, that is the way salvation is used uh, in many places in the Bible. But Paul tends to use it to mean something slightly different. He doesn't tend to use it to refer to something that has already happened, but to something that is still future. If we are Christians tonight, our salvation is a, a present reality. It, it has already happened. We can't be any more saved than we already are. But there is an aspect of our salvation which is still future. Uh, we see Paul uh, talking about salvation this way, uh, for example, in chapter 5, verse 9, where he says, Since therefore we have been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God so he talks about justification as a past experience but salvation as a future experience or chapter 13 verse 11 he says for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed our full salvation is coming close but it hasn't yet happened Just to be clear, as soon as someone believes that they become a Christian, they are saved in the sense that we normally use the word. Or even the way Jesus uses the word when he says about Zacchaeus today, salvation has come to this house. But there is a sense in which our final salvation is still ahead of us. 
The day when we will be made perfect in holiness, uh, raised up in renewed, glorified bodies, which will experience no sickness, suffering or death. And that salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. It's still future, but it's coming closer. So lift up your heads, brothers and sisters. Our salvation is drawing near. And in a way, we could say that that final salvation is even more evidence of the power of God than simply someone who makes a profession of faith. Because amidst all the things that could stop someone following Jesus, amidst all the things that could make someone drop out of the Christian race, God has preserved them to the end. By the way, this this need to, to keep going in the faith is one reason why Paul is so keen to preach the gospel to the Christians in Rome, as he says in verse 15. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. He's writing to believers. Why is he keen to preach the gospel to them? Do, do they not know it? Well, as someone has commented on this verse, the gospel is God's instrument not only to make us Christians in the first place, but also to keep us Christians to the end. The idea that the gospel is just for the start of the Christian life is deadly. Because people can think that they, they've heard it all, they know it all, and they don't maintain a sense of wonder at the glory of God revealed in the gospel. And their Christian life withers and dies. So when you hear, or when you read these famous words that the gospel is a power of God for salvation, don't just think of someone initially putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Think of the whole journey. But remember that salvation in both senses depends solely on the power of God. It's not that the gospel is the power of God in order that we might believe in the first place, but that it's up to us to make it to the end. The fact that we will make it to the end is due to the power of God. Which is reassuring because if it depended on us, we wouldn't make it to the end. So that is the first reason not to be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. The second reason not to be ashamed of the gospel is that it is for everyone who believes. It's for everyone who believes. Uh, The second reason is stated specifically in verse 16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of the gospel as if it was just relevant for a few people. Because it's actually the one thing that is relevant for every single human being on the planet. Whether that person is a down and out whose life is an obvious mess or whether it's the person who looks like they have it all together. Good job, nice house, attractive spouse, successful children, healthy bank balance. Both need the gospel. Both will be lost if they don't believe. And wonderfully the gospel is offered to both. There are some things that in life we... We might need, but they're not on offer to us. 
Maybe you get a leaflet in and it's got a grant for a new boiler and you think, great, this is exactly what I need. But yeah, you read the small print and it only applies if your current boiler is more than 15 years old or if it has a certain energy rating. And here's something that you need, but you can't get it. It's not being offered to you. But the gospel isn't like that. It's for everyone who believes. The two main categories of people in Paul's day were Jews and Greeks. And the gospel is for both. Firstly, to the Jew. It had been offered to them first. Uh, Yes, in the Old Testament there are non-Jews who put their trust in God's salvation, but they are few and far between. But now the way is opened up for everyone. No one is excluded, not by race, age, intelligence level, class or any other human division. And this is something that the opening chapters of Romans make wonderfully clear. Uh, We looked at it in our mission services a a few years ago. Uh, Paul makes clear in Romans that bad people need Jesus Good people need Jesus and religious people need Jesus. Uh, Firstly, there's the bad people. We meet them later on in chapter 1, immediately after the verses we're looking at tonight. Those who others look down on, those who think they've burnt their bridges with God and there's no hope for them. They need Jesus and he's offered to them in the gospel. Bad people need Jesus. But then there's the good people in the first half of chapter 2 up until verse 16. Those who consider themselves moral but not religious. Those who think they can be good without God. They need Jesus and he's offered to them in the gospel. And then there's the religious people uh, from 2 verse 17 to the end. Those who think they don't need Jesus because they go to church, they sing in the choir, they teach Sunday school and they pay in some money. But they too need Jesus and he's offered to them in the gospel. In short, if you can find some category of person that the gospel doesn't apply to, maybe then you can be ashamed of it, but you won't find any because in it salvation is offered to all. The third reason not to be ashamed of the gospel is because it reveals the righteousness of God. It reveals the righteousness of God. This phrase, the righteousness of God, is used eight times in the book of Romans. Uh, That tells us it's something that's important to understand. And one thing you need to particularly grasp about the righteousness of God is that it's both your biggest problem and your greatest hope. The righteousness of God is both your biggest problem and your greatest hope. It's your biggest problem in the sense that it is a standard by which you will be measured. On the day of judgment, the question won't be how you've measured up to the popular opinion of what was right and wrong during the time in which you lived on the day of judgment the big question won't be how you've lived up to your own standards the big question will be how you've lived up to the righteousness of God how you've measured up to it and every single one of us falls short 
Paul says it clearly in chapter 3. None is righteous, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, you might be better than the person next door. You might even be the most morally upright person in Strunar. But you fall short of the glory of God. You don't measure up to his righteousness. And in that sense, the righteousness of God is your biggest problem. But the righteousness of God is also your greatest hope. It's your greatest hope. Why? Because that's what Jesus offers you. That's what the cross is about. Nothing less than us having our sin taken from us and the righteousness of God being given to us instead. For many, the cross has been emptied of its true significance. It's just become a cultural symbol. Uh, many who, who attend Christian churches couldn't tell you what the, the, what the cross is really about. But uh, as Martin Luther once described it, it's, it's the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus took the sin of his people and we got his righteousness. Uh, those 33 years or so that Jesus lived before going to the cross, they, they weren't just years uh, biding his time uh, until it was time to die. They were years where he uh, perfectly and fully lived out God's law as no one had ever done before. Time after time he was tempted and he withstood. And when we put our faith in him, that record of impeccable obedience is given to us. So many people in our world, they want to turn over a new leaf. They want a clean slate. But Christianity offers far more than a clean slate. Because what would we do with a clean slate? We'd mess it up again. And so Christianity isn't just about your sins being forgiven. It's about you being given a righteousness that is not your own. As the reformers used to talk about, an alien righteousness. A righteousness that is from outside of us and outside of this world. The righteousness of God himself. It's about Jesus' record of achievement being counted as yours. I don't know if you had records of achievement in school. We had them and you put any certificates you got for doing swimming or you put it in your record of achievement. And I, I don't know, it was meant, maybe meant to help you get a job or something. But um, imagine you had a, a pretty pathetic record of achievement and uh, you didn't have many certificates in it. But there was someone, they had, they had done every swimming course. They'd done their cycling proficiency. They'd done all the, the extra courses. They'd been in all the clubs and societies and they had a, a record of achievement that was full of certificates well imagine on the the last day of school they they took yours and they say here you have mine instead we get Jesus record of perfect achievement and on the cross he took our record of failure our record of falling short so don't be ashamed of the gospel the righteousness of God is the biggest problem facing everyone on earth but it can also be our greatest hope. Because if the righteousness of God is credited to us, uh, no one can question that. Uh, we have all we need to make it into heaven. 
Fourthly, uh, final reason not to be ashamed of the gospel is that it's not man's invention. It's not man's invention. With most religions, you can point to a human being who founded them, but Christianity is different. In fact, even if someone were to say that Jesus was just a man, you still can't claim that he founded Christianity because everything Jesus taught was rooted in the Old Testament. That's the significance of the quotation at the end of verse 17. This idea of salvation by faith in Jesus, it wasn't a new thing 2,000 years ago. It had been foretold long before that. When Jesus met those two on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection and they didn't understand why he had to die, where did he go to explain it? The Old Testament, beginning with Moses and the prophets. When Peter addresses the crowd in Acts 3, he says that all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him proclaimed these days. When Paul was in trial before Agrippa in Acts 26, he says, I stand here saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So the apostles didn't look back to Jesus as the the founder of a new religion, but they looked back further to prophets like Moses and Samuel. Here in verse 17, Paul is going back to Habakkuk. The events of the New Testament are right there in the Old Testament as prophecies. You can't explain that in human terms. The only explanation is that the founder wasn't any one man but God himself. himself. And of course in that sense we can say that Jesus is the founder of Christianity because he is God So you can't confidently uh, share this message with others. You can't confidently invite them to come and hear it. You can't speak this message into their lives because it is a message which originates with God himself. So four reasons not to be ashamed of the gospel. We live at a time when many people openly do things and talk about things that they should be ashamed of but they're not. The gospel is the one thing above all that we shouldn't be ashamed of, yet sometimes are. May God help us all to be able to say more and more with Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Amen. We'll sing as we close from Psalm 98b, Psalm 98b, page 232. Uh, Tune number 150. So Psalm 98, the B version, page 232. Noticing particularly the second half of verse 2. His righteousness has been revealed. And what is it that reveals the righteousness of God? It's the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, It makes you wonder... If Paul had Psalm 98 in mind as he wrote the verses that we've looked at tonight. 
Because the pattern of Jew first and then Greek is here in verse 3 as well. He mindful of his grace and truth to Israel's house has been, that's the Jews. And the salvation of our God, all ends of earth have seen, that's the Gentiles. Uh, so all of this psalm rejoicing in God's salvation, uh, of which we are not ashamed. Uh, tune 150, if you're able, will stand and sing praise. <laughs> 